Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show is made possible by our patrons, so if you would like to support us, we're at patreon.com slash two towns over. If you can't afford monetary donations, we are also at facebook.com slash ttopod. If you would share us around and give us five-star ratings on whatever podcast you're into, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. If living in the 80s taught me anything, if it's bad, it must be Satan. You're gonna be on a if you're trying to start a career on the internet, do not do what I did. cabinets or hardwood straight in as hard as i reasonably could have yeah i did that playing gorm yeah gorn except i was doing a battle axe uh-huh. so i was over the head and came down you know the shelves that are on either side of my tv in the man cave yeah. i caught my knuckle right on the corner of the mm-hmm. one of those shelves uh-huh. yeah i put oh. gorn away <laughs> i'm gonna play beat sabers for a little while yeah, because you can just do that right there, just in that zone. Uh, <laughs> oh, gee whiz! Yeah. I need to start doing Beat Saber for cardio. Yeah, I, I downloaded a whole uh, like workout song pack at one point, so it would give you a lot of like you know how when you're playing Beat Saber, it'll send like the barriers right. that you have to like duck and move yeah. side to side. It'll send a lot more of those in yeah. songs that are specifically built to be exercise. Right, so it keeps you moving a lot more. Right. Really good, really good exercise. All right, everybody. So welcome it's to Fortnite Two Towns Over. You. What? No, no, it is not. <laughs> what are so you talking funny. about? The Wii U is dead. They have officially stopped supporting the Wii U. No way. Yes. Really? Yeah, dude. Wii U is a dead console. <sighs> Holy shit. Rest in peace. Bury it. I, I can't. That's how I play Breath of the Wild. That's weird. So welcome. Everybody. I got it before the fucking switch came out, dude. Come on. <laughs> welcome everybody. Yeah, I need to, to calm, t- calm down. <laughs> welcome everybody to Two Towns Over. I feel like when I bought a GameCube, everybody was like, "But the Wii's coming out." Like, fuck the Wii. GameCube was better anyway. Uh, I mean, to be fair, the Switch is much better than the Wii U, but but I still fuck with it. <laughs> so we due to. Circumstances beyond everybody's control, which seems to be a running theme nowadays. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, We're going to start the West Memphis 3 this week. Yep, this was planned for a little bit later, but fucking fuck has it been a fucking clusterfuck. Yes. For the past several years for everyone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, so... um, But especially this week. Oh my... Yes. So, uh, so basically, if if this was a if if our show was an outline, if that's what I'm thinking, you know, you had the satanic panic is Roman numeral one. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now if we're, we're going like the in, table of contents. Right. Now we're into Roman numeral one, a. 
Right. Because this is going to be a series within a series. Right. The West Memphis 3 is like the... Even more granular. The, the meatiest part of this, for this sure. This, by far, Meaty. is the longest script I have written. Because... Wow. Yeah. I'm sitting... I'm not even done with it. It's at 43 pages. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. So, it's definitely going to be a multi-week thing. Because this, this story, this is what got me into true crime. Right. I was going to say, this is super important to you. Yes. You followed this case as it was exactly. occurring. Yeah. IRL. I didn't know. Time. I didn't know about it until the year 2000 when Paradise Lost 2 uh, came out. Sure. And before Paradise Lost 2 was aired on HBO, they showed Paradise Lost 1. Right. And so I watched that to watch the second one and been following it ever since i did when i was in college and i took a speech class i did my speech on the west memphis three i have literally been following them since the year 2000 right so this is a story that i have been following for 23 years and sadly enough it's still happening wow yeah it's we we still don't have a satisfying conclusion to this but there are still a lot of people who are actively fighting for the satisfying conclusion that it needs yes so i'm gonna because this is a satanic panic series you will you will have heard our satanic panic intro but at least for the first probably 45 minutes of this episode we are an after dark episode because yeah it's about to get dark for a little bit we'll try to bring it back up near the end but like so i guess trigger warnings mutilation of a child yeah three children three children yes so here we go oh well that that one's dawn oh i'm dawn sorry uh (laughs) i'm a rambunctious miscontented person (laughs) (laughs) okay i like that uh i'm a quirky green boy yeah nice um, real quick, I do need to... A painting I'm, of a young lad was just... No, it's crying I'm Josh, boy. a.k.a. a painting of a little boy. Yes, no, no, it was a crying boy. No, no it was no. a little boy. It was a painting of a little boy. It was. Oh, it was. <laughs> it was. I'm Josh, a.k.a. a quirky green boy. So, <sighs> I told you earlier, while we were talking, that I ordered the the Charles Manson in his own words book. Yeah, For yeah, research yeah. for an episode later on. Uh-huh. You know, and I, sorry. Because I want to avoid talking about this for as possible. <laughs> there is only one word that you will never hear me use for my name or gender, and it is monkey, and you should know why. <laughs> I want you all to know that I do love some Sun Wukong shit, though, which means that it is always the first one that's in my head. And I know I can't say it, which makes it even harder not to Well, sometimes. you know, you've got, like, Winston, which is an upside-down M. Mm, but I, it's not the same. Okay. So I told Cindy the other day, I was like, yeah, I got, uh, <laughs> I'll just be curious, George, next week. Fuck off. I, um, I told her, I was like, I got Charles Manson's, basically Charles Manson's autobiography coming in. Uh, and she just rolled her eyes. She's like, you're going to put us on a list. Yo, you're, you've already and I'm made like, that list. And I'm like, I'm fine. And then I sat there for a second. I was like, actually, I do notice that my my TikTok for you page is filling up a lot with atheists and satanic church or temple, satanic temple and atheists. And we did just have a person message us telling us how easy it would be to decapitate a human being with a Uh Bowie knife. I was like, fuck, I probably am on a list now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're was... probably on like the lowest level of that list oh, where yeah, they're yeah, like for sure. we're on the same list as the last podcast as far <laughs> as the government's concerned. They're like No, they're definitely higher on the list yeah. than we are because they they have a team of researchers who dig into places but that's they probably what I mean. should not dig. Okay, <laughs> but that's what I mean though. Is they're 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 well they might be one ring up higher than us. And but they were the first people to report a certain thing about the um Fuck, he was the something slasher in England. Uh, or the Ripper. The Jack the Ripper? No, it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was the the something Ripper. It was like a town name or a city name. The Eastwick? No, there's been, you know, any number of Rippers L- L- since L- Jack. Yeah. L- L- whatever. The, the Yorkshire Ripper. There it is. The Yorkshire Ripper. So they were, as far as I know, the first people to report on uh, Yorkshire underpants. Which is a special homemade garment that uh, the killer wore so that he could more easily and accessibly masturbate at his crime scenes. Had built-in knee pads so that he could, like, kneel down and shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they were the first people to report on that. It was not publicly available. So they're definitely on a list for having found that. That's fair, but I feel like... One of these days, we might jump to that ring. But all I mean is, we're on the list of every YouTuber and podcaster that the government is like, fucking these bitches, they're all talking about goddamn true crime. Right. Ugh. They're they're hitting every keyword, literally. Right. Put them over here. There's a YouTuber that I listen to. Uh, well, she also she's a podcaster and stuff, but uh, her name is Illuminati. Yeah, mm-hmm. with two eyes mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, like not like naughty. Right. In in a u g h t i i. Look look her up. She's great. I've, I've I, I know you guys have. I'm telling our audience. Oh, look her up. She's great. Uh, good shit. We're very informative. But she did uh an episode about uh pedophile communities. Oh jeez. Oh, and God. those are always so difficult to watch for me. <laughs> segments of those communities which uh, classify themselves as non-offending. And segments of those communities which classify themselves as pro-contact pedophiles. No. She's like, I did all of this with a VPN, but I know that I am on a list now. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. All right. Listen, the only pedophile group that I will ever accept is one that's like, help, I don't want to be a pedophile anymore. Right. That's the one. That's what some of them are. Like, it's it's a really interesting dynamic in the way that it needs to go about being treated. Oh, fuck. That audio clip is going to... Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's our stinger for the week. Shit. (laughs) Right up front. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Oh, no. I said it, and then I fucking realized. (laughs) All right. One of these days, my image... (laughs) Not that I give a shit, but it's going to be... You're gonna be on a if you're trying to start a career on the internet, do not do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on May 5th, 1993, an event occurred that would rock the small town of West Memphis, Arkansas to its very foundation. Oh, my fucking God. I always forget that this is Arkansas, Arkansas and not literally West Memphis. Yeah. I mean, it's called what? It's literally on the other side of the Mississippi from West Memphis or from Memphis. Right. So if you're traveling through Memphis on I-40 and you pass over the Mississippi, you're in West Memphis, Arkansas. Fuck, I always forget how far in the South Arkansas is yeah. actually too. That's... Um, the only thing I know, and before we get into the real bad shit, the only thing I know that I like about Arkansas is that one vine or the short or whatever they're called 
back then where the the woman is like English, where you do this is Kansas. Why is not Arkansas? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen that. I love her. So uh, it was a crime so shocking that it garnered nationwide attention. It's the tip tap of the nail. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Attention that nearly 30 years later still has not completely dissipated. Because on that night, three eight-year-old boys, Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers, would go missing after riding their bikes into the forested area behind their neighborhood, affectionately known as Robin Hood Hills. Dude, I loved this episode of Stranger Things, actually. <laughs> uh, you're about to hate it. Less I than- <laughs> was thinking you were going to make, um, the what's the one about the train tracks and the dead body? Stand by me. Ah, uh, stand by me. I thought yeah. you were going to make a stand uh. by me. <laughs> Less than 24 hours later, their naked, lifeless bodies would be found in those very woods, bruised, bloodied, and hogtied hand to feet. She's a terrorist. She, I I, was like, my cat is a terrorist. I'm sorry. I was like, what the fuck? She's is a happening? monster. She wants into the closet. It sounds like she was setting a bomb trap. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. There's a fucking Claymore outside the studio now. It's a bouncing Betty. <laughs> You're just like, oh no! So, yeah, they'd be found in those very woods, bruised, bloodied, hogtied, hand to feet. The subsequent investigation into the horrific murders would lead to the arrest of three local teenagers under the accusation that they murdered the young boys in a satanic ritual. Three young teenagers who I'm going to throw it out right the fuck now because this shit always... I I love this case because it's so interesting, but I fucking hate it, man. Because they had not shit to do with this. Right. No, no, none of them. Mm, We're going to fucking get into (laughs) it, but this is exactly the result of everything else that we have talked about so far. Mm -hmm. That is what this story is. That's why it's the most important part of the Satanic Panic series. Mm -hmm. This is the this is what you get when when you have this long of people believing in this fucking non-existent Satanic ritual abuse. And I will say this as well as like an add-on. Like when we talk about, when I get too political for y'all for the modern day, (laughs) like This story is why we are concerned as a community. And when I say as a community, I mean as a community of marginalized people. That's black, brown, poor, green, red, who gives a shit. If you are marginalized, man, woman, or otherwise, that's who I'm talking about. If you've ever made an old white lady nervous, then you should be concerned. Right. (laughs) Right. Like this is, this case is exactly why it's so concerning that all the things that have been happening over the last 10 years have been happening and longer, but like specifically like 2013 really kicked some shit off. And spoiler alert, when we get to talking about QAnon, which is the massive resurgence of satanic panic ideology and attitudes. With sprinkled in racism, you know how it goes. Well, yeah. I'm going to draw some serious comparisons between the way these kids got targeted and the way some other tragedies have happened as the direct result of QAnon conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. So the three teenagers would come to be known as the West Memphis Three. And the trial and convictions that followed would become one of the grossest miscarriages of justice ever witnessed. It was the final battle in the War of Satanic Panic and an echo of the Salem Witch Trials 300 years earlier. Damn. Now, the event started with a phone call. John Mark Byers, stepfather of Christopher Byers, called the West Memphis Police Department around 8 p.m. to report that Christopher was missing. An officer arrived about 10 minutes later, and according to her notes, the last time Christopher was seen by anyone, he was cleaning the yard around 5.30. 
Just minutes after the off that officer left the buyer's residence, she received a phone call from the Bojangles Fried Chicken restaurant just down the road. I forgot that that's how that happened in like the, was this the early 90s? Yeah. So the manager of the restaurant was reporting a bleeding black man had come into the building and went into the women's restroom where he was refusing to come out. But just minutes before the officer arrived, the man who had blood on his face and appeared disoriented left the restaurant and wandered away. When the staff entered the bathroom, they found blood smeared on the walls. The officer took a report from the drive through window and never entered the building. Jesus fucking Christ. Or took samples of the blood. The staff. No, he heard, he heard black man. <laughs> it He's was like, a... I got to go find that. <laughs> uh, the staff cleaned the bathroom and nothing else was investigated. <coughs> no, you go ahead. Okay. Um, the officer left to tend to a complaint about someone throwing eggs. Now, the next call. Bitch, what? Yeah. Somebody you was did p- say it was maybe the worst miscarriage of justice. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I don't. This is the one time ever that I would vastly prefer that a cop was racist. I I would have. I would have. <laughs> I like. Oh, God. Okay. Um, no one did anything good here. No. No, no one did anything good. Like, you. Hi, hi, uh, 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 anybody, blood uh, everywhere, help. And you go to the drive-thru? Right. And don't go in to check the bathroom. I don't care if it's the fucking first police department we ever did, the one that was a slave patrolled the week before. Uh, yeah, okay. You're gonna, you that's, need... That's the end of my report. Let me get a... Uh, go into the fucking, uh, like... <laughs> Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. And, and then, then they clean it up. Right. That's on the employees right there. Why well, I'm gonna say that's on the manager who told an employee to clean it up. Right. Because fuck no. Mm-hmm. That's th- name a more suspicious thing. Right. A man came in here covered in blood, went into our bathroom, refused to come out, left our bathroom covered in blood. I guess we'll just clean it up. We called the cop and the cop didn't do anything. Call another fucking cop. Right. Hi, a guy might be dying in the street right now or may have just killed someone. Can you come investigate? <laughs> what the fuck? Like. Oh, yeah. This is still the first page. <laughs> I, are we past the first paragraph? No, yeah, we're, yeah, 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 yeah. We're at the end of the first page, but uh, Ruben's head is going to explode I, by the time I, yeah, we're Yeah, I literally this. have a headache already. <laughs> I'm hot. Yeah. So the next call came in at 9.24 p.m. Dana Moore was calling to report that her eight-year-old son, Michael, was missing. That's two. The same officer that had reported on the, the buyer's Fire. phone he, he call. He should already be fired. He it should already female. be off the fucking force. It was, a, it was a female cop. Fuck her. Yeah, okay. Uh, Fuck her. We Fuck are her. equal opportunity. Fuck the law here. <laughs> so, yeah. So the same officer that reported on the buyer's Especially phone Especially if you're going to act like this. Like... <laughs> I don't... How, man? Was she a fucking rookie? Uh, I don't... No. There's no fucking way. No, no, no. I'm not even trying to give an excuse. But, like, how... how, Just how? How are you... I'm trying to find some way to make sense of the fact that she's so bad at her fucking job. I'll tell you how. 
it sounded to me when I was still thinking, because early 90s, I was thinking maybe this is some dude who's been on the force since the 70s or 80s when it was just community shit and you just had to go and talk to somebody and you eventually got your guy or whatever for stealing. And they're just lazy at this point because that's the only thing I can think is you've been a cop for a while and you just get lazy. Like, I don't want to get out of the car, so I won't. Like... But even then, it's like even fucking 30... In the 60s, you would have gotten out of the fucking car. Right. I've seen in the heat of the night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, fucking A. <laughs> so so Dana Moore claimed that the last time her son was seen, he was riding bikes with his two friends, Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers. Uh-oh. By this time, a second officer had been dispatched to a local catfish restaurant a few blocks away. A waitress at the restaurant by the name of Pam Hobbs. Was, was it the same officer again? No, or no a whole this, is a different, this is a different, a different officer. officer. Uh, a catfish restaurant? Yeah. yeah like fish and specifically chips, for catfish? Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it started uh, on Sandy Bottom. Not Sandy Bottoms. Bikini Bottom. And it, it's just franchised out. What, what does SpongeBob have to do with this? It's a catfish restaurant. It serves catfish. Catfish or fish. It was a joke. Uh, yeah, no, I okay. know. I'm t- gotcha. Mine was also a joke. Okay. I'm, I'm just Sorry. a little stinker. In fairness, I think the chain is called Bikini Bottoms. I, I know. It, it is. Oh, okay. I just... So. Who lives in a pineapple? Yeah, no, okay. So, so a waitress <laughs> at the restaurant by the name of Pam Hobbs was reporting that her son, Stevie, had not come home. He Sponge was- Robert. <laughs> I, I also just love Pam from the Catfish restaurant. Yeah. Like, that's the most southern small town thing <laughs> you know I've ever crazy? heard in my entire life. Is that I can literally picture the Catfish restaurant. And it didn't even phase me. Oh, when for he said sure. It. I'm like, picturing her in like a 50s diner outfit. Too, 100%. Like, so, you got a fucking poodle skirt on and shit. <laughs> so, again, Stevie had, not, had been last seen riding his bike. There were no notes as to who was supposed to be watching him or who was called. Who, or who called her to let her know that Stevie was missing. Now, this in the 90s, this this is something I meant to bring up when we were talking about the first little boy uh, cleaning the yard by himself. Yeah. Like, I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 92. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the, early, you know, the mid-90s and early 2000s. And we did... You know, in the nineties, we were just out there, just in the just, just we out yeah. here. We don't go past the the fucking stop sign or the street light or whatever. Right, exactly, whatever your, your marker is, is. Uh-huh. and you just don't go past that, and you just be home at a certain time before it's dark or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're not allowed to be home until it gets dark, right? And like that felt safe to me. Yeah, but man, oh man, I, no, I, like it. This is unfortunately for us the US the 90s and 2000s were about the last time you could do that like which even then it it wasn't any it was more changing. or less safe than it is now yeah it's just the 24 hour news cycle yeah has well, poisoned the minds of everybody well it's not only that but it's just about the not supervising your kid like i'm not saying that you need to be outside in your yard with your kid all the time right but i am suggesting that you keep a window open so you can at least hear shit or whatever you know but at the same time like 
nowadays you have technology, which I will never say is a bad thing. I'll never say the tools we make for ourselves are bad. I will say the way we have trained ourselves to use the tools are detrimental to everyone involved, but especially kids who can be who are are frequently targeted by YouTubers, TikTokers, right, Twitter fuck boys, all the shit. Like the predatory behavior just happens in a different place now. Exactly, and and like it's much easier to lure a kid away from the zone, the safe yeah. zone. You know what I mean? And it's just that's what I mean when I say the times are changing in that era because you you like nowadays I would be unable to do that to like let my kid just be out by themselves riding their bike with their friends and shit like yeah. I not I couldn't do it like you'd have to be like a teenager yeah at least cuz I you know what I mean it's just a little too dangerous it feels like with the technology available so word spread quickly through the subdivision about the disappearances a group of parents began searching for the boys while others reported that they had seen a group of boys riding their bikes near the dead end of Macaulay Drive Around sunset. And imagine being a parent back when you had to wait by a phone. Right. Like you could Uh not take it with you and go look. You had to either be out looking or wait by a phone or in a police station. Yep. There was no other thing you could do. You know what I mean? Like, so that's one way technology can help you is by giving you ease of access to help by communication. But... You know what I mean? It's just very sad. You said Macaulay Drive? Macaulay Drive, yeah. So that's the one that intersects Culkin Street? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so, Culkin Culvert, thank you very much. <laughs> so the dead end led into the wooded area known by the local kids as Robin Hood Hills. Now the woods separated the subdivision from two interstate highways and their service roads on the north. The space provided the neighborhood with a buffer from the traffic on their northern edge. For a few miles, for a few miles east-west East-West Interstate 40, spanning the United States between North Carolina and California, converges in West Memphis, Arkansas, with I-55 connecting New Orleans to Chicago. Wow. I I was trying to do that in my head, and my brain wouldn't let me. Basically, two major interstates cross Mm -hmm. in West Memphis, Arkansas. Got it. So... um, the sit- years earlier, the city had dredged a channel known as the 10-mile Bayou Diversion Ditch to dispose of rainwater that ordinarily would have flowed into the Mississippi River, but was prevented from draining by the great levees that held back the river. So by 9 p.m. that evening, mosquitoes had gotten incredibly thick in the area. Rerouting rivers used to be a thing that mythical deities did. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, especially in the moist and overgrown area of Robin Hood Hills. The initial officer who had responded to the first calls are Jesus yes, fucking uh, Christ. Tried to look in the woods that night, but the mosquitoes drove her away. Okay. This is about to sound ignorant, I feel. But you know, I'm very southern and I was raised that way. <laughs> so understand that I don't mean to disparage anybody or suggest that men don't have parental instincts. But if this first female officer was looking for eight-year-olds, in my mind, it's like, I'm I'm just thinking to myself, does this person have kids or want them in the future? Because if so, why are you acting like this? And even if you don't, 
you should know, like, even if you are the type of woman who does not want kids and has never wanted kids and great, good, but all of your friends, especially when you're growing up in probably like the 70s or 80s, are growing up around you fucking wanting kids and to get married and stuff. It should be the first thing in your head. Right. Like, I, it's a child. Right. It's three children. Well, right. she's like, oh, three eight-year-olds are missing. They really can't survive out here. But, like, fuck, these mosquitoes are bad. I'm just going to go. So, <clears throat> yeah. I'm just flabbergasted. So the officer that had responded to the Stevie Branch call also went to search the woods with a flashlight. But after 30 minutes, the mosquitoes got to be too much for him as well. And who is this mysterious black man with blood on his face? Do we get to that ever? No, pretty much no. Oh, okay. It, That'll can, come. Can, can, I'm going to ask for a spoiler alert. If that's po- or, well, spoiler alert for the fans. Answer me if you can. Is this the guy that we think actually killed these boys? No. What the fuck is he then? It's an example of bad police work. Yeah, that's fair. Which this whole thing is just bad police work. So, because I was thinking the description nowadays would make me think like this guy got attacked. And is in shock the way you were describing mm-hmm. the description. So we're at least three layers deep now. So <laughs> take it with a couple of grains. But so still, those two efforts were the only police action that night. Or that he had killed somebody. You know right, what I mean? Right. Those are the two options to me. No organized search by police would begin until the morning. Mm-hmm. Mosquitoes what? are too bad. Yeah. Absolutely fuck off. It's additionally uh, with the blood in the bathroom. This was the 90s. I get that they're a small police department, but DNA is coming around, and they are starting to collect shit like that Mm -hmm. for future testing. Not only that, but like even before that, matching a blood type was still a thing. Right, Right. because we knew about blood types, and that was like one of the earliest forms of DNA in murder cases. And if he's rubbing it on the walls, there's gotta be fingerprints in that shit. That's how liquid works. (laughs) So, at the briefing held the next morning, Chief Inspector Gary Gitchell, get used to that name, announced that three boys were missing and that he would be leading the search. After a few hours had passed without any sign of the children, the police department from Memphis, Tennessee, provided a helicopter to help in the search. Now imagine you've been the parents of these three kids waiting for this long no for them shit. to do basically nothing. Right. By mid-morning, dozens of volunteers had joined the police in the search. For hours, as many as 50 officers and volunteers combed the four-acre wooded area, at one point even lining up shoulder to shoulder and walking from the north end to the south end, they repeatedly came up empty. By the time noon came around, most of the searchers had given up on the woods and moved on to other locations. Like, did they sue the police department, these parents? No. What? No, we'll, we'll get there. Holy fuck. So Steve Jones, a Crittenden County juvenile officer, stayed behind and continued searching the woods. When he looked down into a steep-sided gully, a tributary to the primary ditch, he spotted something in the water and called out for help on his radio. Sergeant Mike Allen of the West Memphis Police Department rushed across the wide drain pipe that spanned a part of the ditch and climbed down to where Jones was waiting. Jones led Allen to a spot about 60 yards south of the interstates. Standing on the edge of a high side bank, Jones pointed down at the water. Floating on the surface was a boy's laceless black tennis shoe. The time was approximately 1.30 p.m. Allen, wearing dress shoes, slacks, white shirt, and tie, was the first to enter the water. The mud at the bottom of the ditch was hard to walk through. 
Alan raised one of his feet. Bubbles gathered around it and floated to the surface. The muck beneath his shoe made a sucking, reluctant sound. Then a pale form began to rise in the water. Slowly, before the horrified officer's eyes, a child's naked, arched, grotesquely naked body, arched grotesquely backwards, rose to the surface. It was about yeah. shout out this cop for doing at least the bare minimum. No, fuck that. I'll be honest with you. Fuck that. Like, I'm not giving kudos to people who did exactly what they needed to do it's, for their job. I'm just in comparison. Yeah, no, you're right. So not not shout out to him. Yeah. But like, finally, a cop who was out there in like dress shoes and slacks and shit and still was like, yeah, well, I mean, it's my job. I got to get in the fucking mud here yeah. and see if there's a child. Yeah. It's so. Yeah, you're right. That's my bad. Not shout out him. For yeah. doing the bare minimum, but like he's finally, the first one in this whole goddamn story who like, did something that inconveniences him in pursuit of service to the public. Right. I'm just, it's honestly, we've heard about so much shitty bottom tier, not even police work at all. That just hearing the the most minor bit of police work makes me go. Ah, we heard finally. about the town gossip who happened to have a fucking police uniform on. Right. <laughs> So we're... Oh, hey, Gene. How you doing, girl? <laughs> well, you said you had a, uh, somebody come in with the blood. That's crazy. Can I get some tea? <laughs> so word quickly spread of the discovery, and searchers swarmed back to the woods. By, but now, only Gitchell's detectives were being let in. By 2.15 p.m., crime scene tape was up. What? Nothing. I'm just... So Detective Bryn Ridge took it upon himself to continue searching the stream for the other two missing boys. Moving several yards downstream before climbing into the water on his hands and knees, he began crawling through the mud, feeling back and forth for anything that might be a body. The first thing he discovered was a stick stuck unnaturally in the mud. Ridge could feel something wrapped around it under the water. When he dislodged the stick, he discovered a child's white shirt. He returned to the body left floating in the water because it didn't seem right to leave the child in the water, and he placed the body on the bank. This was the body of Michael Moore. The body showed signs that it had endured tremendous violence. His body was tied left hand to left ankle, right hand to right ankle, in an unnatural backwards arch with shoelaces. The nakedness and the vulnerability of the hogtied positioning gave an air of something sexual to the crime. The search quickly found Michael's Cub Scout hat and uniform shirt. And I'm only going to get angrier when we get to the part where they arrest some innocent people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they found his Cub Scout hat and uniform shirt in addition to a pair of blue jeans and two more pairs of kids' sneakers. Because this is one where I'm not going to... Like, I feel like my views on the police and the justice system as a whole, the prison industrial complex, have been made clear. ACAB, abolish that shit. We need to start fresh. But at the same time, I am not saying anarchy. I'm saying the thing we have that is descended from slave patrols is maybe not the way we should have done it. Right. We do definitely still. I've been watching fucking police chase videos. We definitely need people to stop people who are endangering lives. Yeah. That's what we need. We don't need people who come to a Starbucks because you took a nap on a bench. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that it's. Oh. <laughs> I just feel like this is insane. Like, it's. This is. 
there are situations in this real world where comparatively, like I'm, I'm not saying that you should go to jail or spend the night in a drunk tank because you fell asleep on a bench at a Starbucks or a, or a bar or anywhere else. But I would rather that happen, but things like this get taken seriously. Like I would rather err on that side than the other side. You know what I'm saying? Where right. we do shit like this. This is unacceptable. Fully and completely. Anyone involved in the setup and execution of this, the organization of it, like that first officer and this Gitchell guy or whatever. Gary Gitchell. All of, fuck his name. <laughs> all of them should be in jail. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the officer that jumped into the water or whatever, the guys that were doing the search, you don't, if you don't have the information to go out to do the search, how are you going to be out there doing it? You know what I mean? Right. But like the people whose job it is to get that fucking information out to people, those people need to be fucking fired. And if you're a cop, like looking for a missing group of eight year olds and you can't do your job because of mosquitoes. Is that why in for the real? South, yeah. Yes. That was why they only searched. Hoodies like had been invented. <laughs> Hoodies had been invented. Deepwoods off had been invented. Thank you. I, I am a person who literally has scars on his body everywhere. I wear long pants and long sleeves and a hooded jacket fucking everywhere I go, regardless of the season, and I live in Florida. It's when I was 16. And you can do that. It's fine. When I was 16, we would hang out in the woods getting eaten alive actively right. by mosquitoes because it was out of sight and we could smoke weed there. Yeah. It's <laughs> we wanted to smoke weed bad enough to deal with mosquitoes just as bad as that, but they can't do it to find missing children. So before long, all the clothing that had been listed in the by the parents as being worn by the boys the day they, before they were they had been hmm, the boys before had been oh my god <laughs> before long all the clothing that had been listed by the parents as being worn by the boys the day before had been found, with the exception of a sock and two pairs of underwear. Detectives were intrigued by the fact that. Two of the pairs of pants were inside out, yet all three were zippered and buttoned. Ridge re-entered the water further downstream, and within minutes, he found the body of Stevie Branch, naked and tied in the same fashion as Michael had been with the shoelaces. Like Michael, Stevie showed signs of tremendous violence inflicted upon him, and though it was hard to tell, it appeared that Stevie had also been bitten in the face. Minutes later, they found Christopher Byers in the same fashion as the others, but when they flipped his body over, they were shocked to discover that his scrotum was missing and his penis had been skinned. What had started as a search for missing boys was now a murder investigation. Gitchell ordered... Ruben sat up very quickly <laughs> is why Don abruptly stopped talking. It absolutely... Should, this is exactly the reason it should have been taken seriously. Like if an 18-year-old, even if a 17-year-old, 17, 18, you go missing, that's pretty fucking serious. But at the same time, you in, you're close you enough. You the investigation from, as a runaway. Right, exactly. Like, I have to assume that if you're a teenager, that's you're literally in the prime area of your life emotionally and hormonally to fucking run away from home in a huff. Right. So I'm going to be slightly less worried about you. But an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old who was cleaning the yard and then went to go ride bikes with his friends, 
that's not a runaway. Right. That's not, and even if it was, they are eight. You take that seriously from fucking second one. Right. Anything, not only that, but let's say this guy with the blood on his face in the bathroom of the Bojangles was completely unrelated, which it seems like it might have been, based on what you're telling me anyway. We don't really know 100%. But whether it was related or not, I get a call about a missing kid, then I get a call about a guy with blood on his fucking face entering a Bojangles. I'm going to go investigate as as thoroughly as the current technology will allow me to. Yeah. That Bojangles is closed for the day. Or right. the next 10. I don't give a shit. I need to find everything I can. Like, you, even if they came in in the opposite order, you know what I mean? There should have been a crime scene at the Bojangles. You get the call about the missing kid. That crime scene at the Bojangles now becomes a potential link to this other case that happened today, the same fucking day. Right. Like, maybe we take these things a little bit more seriously and we... Oh, okay. <laughs> So Gitchell er ordered the stream to be sandbagged in the hopes of finding Christopher's missing genitals, the missing clothing, and a possible murder weapon. By now, the bodies have been left on the bank long enough to start attracting flies. And, and anybody insects. who does some shit like this needs to be... I'm a pacifist. I've said it before. I don't believe in the death penalty, but they need to be killed. Right. <laughs> like, if you do something like this, I don't care whether you're sick or not. You need to be put fucking down. Bones dogs still. are innocent, and we put dogs down mm. for horses attacking humans. All the same, you know what I'm saying? We well, cops shoot dogs for no fucking reason, but they do that to anybody. Well, so. yeah. By the time anyone thought to call the coroner, the bodies had been laying in the open air for over two hours. You what? It gets worse. That's my line. <laughs> Part of that time, the bodies were covered by a plastic tarp. In temperatures that topped the high 80s. Fucking. The temperature of the water had been 60 degrees, which had slowed down decomposition. But now exposed to the heat and humidity, not to mention insects, the deterioration had increased. And then being put underneath a fucking tarp in right. the south. Yeah, basically greenhouse. Isn't it? <laughs> we broke Reuben. Uh, yeah, Ruben definitely froze, like, on just a uh, shocked reaction See, frame. See, this is why we couldn't do McMartin and West Memphis back-to-back. -back. Oh, God, no. Ruben would slit his own throat. <laughs> so Gitchell approached the edge of the woods where wouldn't, a large wouldn't crowd... Wouldn't be my throat. You give me names, bud. <laughs> <laughs> where a large crowd of people had gathered. Terry and Pam Hobbs, Stevie's parents, and John Mark Byers, stepfather to Christopher, were there. When Gitchell told them the news, Pam Hobbs fainted. When a reporter approached Byers, he slowly shook his head and stated that he had searched that very site the night before. That's the only appropriate reaction so far. That's the very first appropriate reaction we've ever had. Fainting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the dad immediately going, but I, I looked there. I did. Right. Because that's the reaction the police should have had. Right. Um, he then proceeded to tell the reporters information that Gitchell had not divulged yet. He stated that one of the boys had been hit above the eye and another's boy's jaw was injured. And the assault on the third boy had been, quote, worse than that. What happened now? This was the stepfather to Christopher Byers. And he had information that had not been released. That Gitchell had not released to the press yet. 
he had been given the information from the police that had not been given to the press. And yet. he gave okay. it to the press. I thought this was on one of those, this guy was clearly the murderer. Oh, no. <laughs> so for the next several days, Gitchell said little. He stated that his detectives were considering a wide range of possibilities, including that the murders might have been a result of, quote, gang or cult-related activity, though he quickly added that he saw no evidence of either. Then why could it be related? He's all possibilities at this moment. So he says. So don't defend his rationale. (laughs) But within hours of the discovery of the bodies. The devil. Yeah. Within hours of the discovery of the bodies. You know, I know you said that in jest. But that's real. Uh, I say it in jest the same way I say in jest that Ronald Reagan is the devil. Yeah, I'm kind of kidding, but, like, not really. Like, (laughs) if I believed in the devil, I would believe that people like this are working for him knowingly. Like, like if if we're in a D&D world and it's Asmodeus or whoever, this guy is one of his servants. Because even if you... Even if you think he's doing it out of ignorance, if you're thinking in cosmological forces, that type of ignorance is directly leading into the aid of evil. Like, biblically. You see what I'm saying? Like, religiously. And, like, how do we let this keep happening? How do we? How? 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 But within hours of the discovery of the bodies, rumors of Satanism being involved in the murders had already begun to spread. Now, I would say Fucking this is what I mean. Towns. Satanism could have, might have been involved, but it would have been involved, I mean, the, the type of Satanism that people think exists, but we've discovered really kind of doesn't. Like, it, it, it would have been the police. That's what I'm saying. Like, Satan's goal is for bad shit to happen and for nobody to find out why. And the police are serving that goal. Right. Do you see? Do you see? I see. Okay. Um, two, women, uh, two women had already reported sounds of devil worshiping in the woods. The idea that the case may have satanic overtones was prevalent enough that when the West Memphis Police Department assigned the case number 93-05-0666. Fuck off. God damn it. Shit, motherfucker. I knew it was coming. Uh, To the murder file, reporters asked whether the last three digits had been deliberately chosen. Did the number 666 suggest a police theory of the crime? Gitchell insisted that it did not. The assignment of that particular number, he said, had been entirely coincidental. I would change it then. (laughs) Fucking change it! Change it then. He said... uh, Where'd it go? Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Re-roll! The assignment of the particular... Literally put a seven or a fucking eight on the end, dude. Like... Oh, you guys are about to get so much more pissed off. Um... He explained that cases were numbered according to the date of the crime uh, and the number of cases that had already been entered for the year. It was entirely by chance, he said, that the particular case, which occurred on the fifth month of 1993, had happened to be the 666th case worked on by the department so far. Years later, discovery of a report written by Detective Ridge and dated two days after the bodies were found would cast doubt on Gitchell's contention. That report, which was among the earliest in the case, identified it as number 93-05-0555. Uh, I'm numb now. <laughs> Within hours after the bodies had been oh, found. Oh, I'm just getting started. <laughs> then Arkansas Governor Jim Guy Tucker. That's an Arkansas name. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, Jim Guy. Jim this Guy is, Tucker. This is what I mean when I say I'm Southern. I did not even read that. Didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, a former... You said Jim Guy, and it wasn't until you said that's a that's a small town name where I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. Mm. No, I, I mean, like, Jim would be short for what? James? James. Yeah, yeah. James Guy Tucker just sounds like a normal fucking uh, name to me. Sounds like a fucking Family Guy character. Um. He was a yeah, former kind of prosecuting things. attorney. Uh, yeah, Jim Guy Tucker, former prosecuting attorney, contacted Gitchell to offer the assistance of the Arkansas State Police. The larger state police agency would have sent detectives from its criminal investigation division into West Memphis to aid in what promised to be a difficult investigation. But Gitchell declined the offer. And though one state police officer did help conduct some interviews, the role of the state police in West Memphis was minimal. The reason for Gitchell's reluctance to bring in the state police might have had a dark reasoning behind it. At the time the murders occurred, several officers in the West Memphis Police Department, along with officers in the Crittenden County Sheriff's Office, were themselves under investigation by none other than the Arkansas State Police. Say that again? Gitchell was under investigation? Not Gitchell, but uh, several officers in the West Memphis Police Department. Oh, maybe like that female officer who ignored two crimes? No, probably not. She's probably their favorite. And then uh, along with officers in the Crittenden County Sheriff's Office. So Crittenden County is this county where... Like their neighboring yeah. county or whatever. Uh, where them were themselves under investigation. The incident that had brought state investigators into Crittenden County arose less than four months before the murders, and the investigation into it was not over yet. Do, do we know what it was? Yes, we do. Okay. It centered on drugs and suggested corruption, and it began with another murder. Oh, wow. It's almost like that white lady, I think it was like St. Louis or something. Oh, yeah. The, that's been the, distributing fentanyl. Yeah. But they've been blaming it on black people. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So the victim this time was a deputy sheriff, an undercover narcotics investigator who the state police discovered had been pawning yeah, evidence. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this, but she worked with... She was like the crime boss of the St. Louis Police Department, the fentanyl boss. They were a drug cartel for fentanyl. It's, yeah. I want to make this call out real quick, too, just because you're mentioning fentanyl. Um, fentanyl test kits are actually relatively accessible. Um, if you are a regular drug user, uh, and I get mean, one, I mean, if you're buying or more. Uh yeah, well they you if it's single use or whatever. They're single use, I believe. Um if you are buying drugs from just ver various places, like if you're buying drugs off the street, get some fentanyl test kits. Test your shit. Because half the, the police time, are killing you. Half the time your dealer doesn't know where it came from themselves, and it's it if it's not coming out of a prescription bottle and it's a pill, there's a chance that it's a fake pressed pill. I have a friend uh, out in Arizona or an acquaintance really, but uh, he used to regularly distribute fentanyl test kits and tell people, uh, hey, if you buy some shit, uh, use this on it. Uh, you lose a little tiny bit of it. It's not a big fucking deal mm -hmm. for your safety. It's better than dying. It's better than dying because he found multiple, like a lot of uh, fake Xanax that were pressed with fentanyl mixed in uh, to make them seem stronger. Jesus. And that was relatively common in uh, some areas of Arizona. He would make uh, like alerts on Facebook all the time saying that there were fake pills pressed with fent found in uh, 
like you know West Tucson or whatever. He it would always be vague like that. I remember but, you telling us. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody who's doing yeah. God's work for just, real. So so please like for please use safely. Get some fentanyl test kits if they are any kind of available to you and test your shit. Mm-hmm. Because again, the police are on some prohibition shit and they're trying to kill you. They want to make money while they do it, because of course they do, because everybody who's greedy does. But literally, that's murder tactics. They are poisoning your drugs, which might already be poison, let's be fair. But still, they are. it's like specifically putting cyanide and shit so that the person who smokes a joint will die. Like, it's fucked. And the police were doing it. I, I want to say that again. The police, the the narcotics department, the people who are supposed to be stopping those crimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the victim this time was a deputy sheriff, an undercover narcotics investigator who the state police discovered had been pawning evidence seized in drug arrests to buy drugs for himself. Wow. So without the help of the state police, Gitchell was having a hard time with the it's investigation. It's almost like addiction is a sickness and we need treatment options. Yeah leaving his comments about gang or cult-related activities to fill the void. This was, after all, the early 90s, and many places in America, especially a town as religious as West Memphis, were, were still in the throes of the satanic panic. And no one was more on the forefront of, the the- of that theory than juvenile probation officer Jerry Driver, which is another name you need to get used to, a self-proclaimed expert on the satanic cult movement. Now, it's important to note that Driver was not a police officer. I love self-proclaimed expert on a thing that doesn't exist. It's like self-proclaimed Sasquatch experts. We are qualified. (laughs) We are not self-proclaimed. We are taking a reputable class. He's right, you know. Which we need to do another session of. Owned by a company that I can find no information about. (laughs) Uh, who cares Uh, we may have sent $25 each to the void Uh, it could have been 40 without promo code boo 40 hey listen (laughs) take 40% off with boo 40 so it's important to note that driver was not a police officer he started out as a commercial airline pilot when he retired from that he and his wife opened a house cleaning business when that venture went under he then took a job within Crittenden with Crittenden County as the juvenile probation officer when Driver heard of the murders in the three, of the three boys, he was shocked, but he was not surprised. He had been warning anyone who would listen um, to something di- that something dire was about to happen. And when it finally did, Driver could think of only one person who might be responsible, a troubled teen by the name of Damian Eccles. And fuck. So Driver... West Memphis won. Yeah, yeah. So Driver first came to know Damien the year before the murders when Damien was 17. A woman had called the police to report that Damien was threatening his daughter. The girl in question was Deanna Holcomb, aged 15. Deanna and Damien had been dating and had broken up earlier that week. Deanna reported that since they broke up, Damien had been threatening her and one of her male friends. Deanna stated that Damien had said that he was going to kill the boy and dump his body in front in the front yard before taking care of her and burning her house down. Driver would later recall that the girl's family stated that Damien had been trying to get Deanna into black magic. They mean Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so, Damien and his family lived in a trailer park known as Lakeshore. 
It was the poorest community in a county that ranked among the poorest 10% of America. Uh, Stranger Things watchers are currently drawing comparisons. Yes. Which are very, very accurate and very, very intentional. Everybody's favorite Stranger Things character is supposed to be... Analog uh, for Damien Eccles. Eccles. Exactly. Yes. Who is this? Eddie. Eddie Munson. Stranger Things. From... Chrissy, wake up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Him. So, yeah. Da- yeah. Uh, Damien lived in a two-bedroom trailer with his sister, mother, stepfather, and grandmother. About a year before the murders, a mental health worker visited the Eccles and reported that both Damien and his sister needed help. Within a month after the first incident, Deanna's mother again called the police, this time to report that her daughter had begun to see Damien again. An officer responded to the Holcomb's house, and while he was taking the woman's report, uh, Deanna arrived home accompanied by Damien. Her mother yelled at Deanna, or Damien, to get get off her property and to stay away from Deanna. The girl yelled back that she still wanted to be with Damien, the typical, I still love him! Daddy, no, I love him! (laughs) The officer reported that Damien had advised that he uh, that he had just walked her home after Deanna had became sick, become sick at school. But Deanna's mother was furious. The officer warned Damien once again to stay away from Deanna. However, during a thunderstorm six nights later, Deanna's mother called the police yet again. This time to report that Deanna had run away from home, presumably with Damien. Officers headed for Lakeshore Estates, uh, where they found the teenagers, both partially nude from the waist down, in an uninhabited mobile home. Damien and Deanna acknowledged they had planned to run away, but since neither Damien nor Deanna owned a car, or even drove one for that matter, they had sought refuge in the trailer to wait out the storm. Nothing was reported stolen, but the police charged the pair nonetheless with burglary and sexual misconduct. Damien This is also so fucked up already because like this woman is literally harassing a boy using the police department and driving her daughter away from her using the literal police something that i have personal experience with and the police are really just making it worse yeah that's what they're the best at so Damien and Deanna were taken away to the county jail and driver was notified. Someone from the juvenile office went to the Eccles trailer and asked to search Damien's room. Pam Eccles, his mom, granted her permission and the juvenile officer walked out with notebooks containing Damien's writings and drawings. Damien was ordered to be held in a juvenile detention center about an hour north of West Memphis. Though Damien obeyed the center's rules and, according to records, treated its staff with the utmost respect, Word circulated that he and Deanna had attended to conceive a child and that after its birth, the child would be sacrificed in a satanic ritual. Really? Because that's that's a totally real thing that that people would do. So Damien told Driver that he was a witch. In reality, he stated that he practiced Wicca and that he worshipped goddesses. Damien also dressed mostly in black. To Driver, he, quote, looked like one of those slasher guys. Driver, driver decided that Damien was the leader of a group that was involved in cult-related activity. Driver and juvenile officers decided. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Juvenile. Because you can just decide that. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so driver and juvenile officer Steve Jones found pentagrams and other satanic graffiti under railroad bridges, overpasses, and an abandoned cotton gin that the kids frequented and nicknamed Stonehenge. And while Driver could chalk up some of this to adolescent mischief, he felt that Damien went well beyond dabbling. Bro, fuck off. (laughs) Honestly. So while Damien was in the Little Rock mental facility, Driver began his occult research in earnest. He contacted a consultant whose main expertise was the occult and and occult-related crimes. Driver invited the consultant to West Memphis, who arrived armed with photographs of graffiti and cult-related par... Yeah, cult-related paraphernalia, which Driver recognized as similar to what he had been seeing in Crittenden County. Driver also began attending seminars in Texas and Tennessee and eventually began leading seminars. What year was this again? Uh, 90. This would have been 92. When, where did they think they were getting the information? What do you mean? I mean, if your town has no cult... And you don't have it available in the fucking public library. Right. And you have presumably kept track of your child well enough to know that they frequent the cotton gin and call it Stonehenge, which means you've got pretty good track of your kid. Right. Where did they source their information before the before the internet? It Maybe. wasn't an encyclopedia. It wasn't a, sat- a satanic Bible in the public library in the fucking 90s in a small town in the South. You know what I'm saying? No, I'll, here, let me tell you exactly what these people did to quote unquote source their information. Three towns over, there's <laughs> this guy who decides – that wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> there's this guy who decided to start going around and saying that he's a self-proclaimed uh, – expert on the occult and uh, Satan worship. And he learned it from uh, two, two, tw- twice removed this cousin of his mm-hmm. who also was uh, a, an occult expert. And it's all word of mouth all My the way back My dad works to, for Nintendo. They just saw the Geraldo report. Exactly. That was all it was. And then it went on and on. Some guy would go to the library and find a book uh, about occult practices, and he would read it, and then he would go and tell someone else, "Yeah, I'm an occult expert." The same way people do YouTube research, right? The same way people do a couple of Google searches and decide that they're an expert on how vaccines cause autism, and then they all call themselves experts, and they are all like, "Yeah, let me consult another expert," but that expert is somebody who did bare minimum. So then someone else thinks it's cool, and they're like, "Oh, now I'm an expert too." And it goes on and on and on down that list until some cop somewhere is like, oh, I know a guy who's an occult expert. And that's where you that can even go onto YouTube. And if you look- I don't mean the cop, I mean, like, that's all well and good for the expert side of things. But like, and I, you know, I, I get that, like, you learn it from a goth who learned it from a goth before you or it whatever. From a goth who. He learned it from a goth who, but I mean learned literally. Learned it from another how a cult practice works. <laughs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> but like literally like I was a goth kid in the South. I went to Yulee High School, which was a fairly modern high school, seeing as how it was built one year before I went there. Uh-huh. Like it's still such a shitty high school campus. <laughs> it's bad. It's a bad campus. It was f- fine when I went there because everybody was new. I don't know what it's like now, and I don't 
particularly care. I think public school's a curse. A couple of good teachers. Yeah, like a high school, I guess. Um, But I just, I feel like I was literally purposefully hanging out with the goth and emo kids searching for this information, and we did not have it. Right. In the 2010s. In the age of information. Right. In the early 2000s and then like 2010 and 11. I graduated in 11. Like, it's, where did these fuckers in the 90s in Arkansas get it? It's old occult books. That's old occult books, the Geraldo episode, and, um... Plus, I mean, you can go online. You can go to YouTube right now and type in "law enforcement guide to occult crimes." But what yeah. I mean is this: I know that's what I—that's the surface level, right? But what I mean is, when these experts are coming, I guess I know the answer already. But f- for the listener, indulge me. Where old occult books, all the same shit. It's on both sides. Only one side thinks it's cool, and one side thinks it's satanic. Satanic. Uh-huh. Um. But what I mean is, when the side that proclaims to be the experts get over and start attacking this side, but they realize they're using all the same source material, where do they think they get their actual magic? Where do they? Where are they getting the instructions for these rituals? I see what you're saying. You see? Yeah. Where do the the quote unquote grown ups think that kids are getting all this information on where to do human sacrifice? Right. Where? When? How? Which? How, you know what I mean? Like uh, they think that they're learning it from the satanic cult. Yeah. That somebody. But if they're the leader of the cult and they're a teenager, Mister Frost has taken them <laughs> under his wing, and you are you have a good personality practices. now. You're ready for the real magic. <laughs> So, um, oh my goodness. It requires you to bone down and have a child. (laughs) So Driver also began attending seminars in Texas and Tennessee and eventually... Am I still hip? Yes. ...began leading seminars of his own on the subject. Now, despite Damien being in the hospital and Driver's diligence in studying the subject matter, Driver kept hearing rumors that something was about to happen in West Memphis and felt that things were hitting... I mind bondage on my dad. (laughs) And felt that things were heading towards a tipping point. Now I have real power. <laughs> so the doctors at the hospital Damien w- uh, was in was not as worried. What happens when you play a paladin? Does Mr. Frost be like, fuck that Pamby shit. Get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is before paladins existed. I guess that's fair. So they mentioned Damien's beliefs not as a warning, but rather as part of an overall picture of Damien's mental makeup. They stated that Damien repeatedly stated that he was not involved in Satanism, but rather witchcraft and Wicca. The report noted... Which even the people in the 90s who did Wicca were like, it's basically bullshit, but I love it. Right. (laughs) So the report noted that Damien smoked a pack of cigarettes a day, had a history of asthma, and a crude self-made tattoo of the scientific symbol for woman. Damien was diagnosed with... Oh, so he was a Prince fan. Yes. Uh, Damien was diagnosed with severe depressive disorder, though another examiner raised the possibility of bipolar disorder or severe manic depressive disorder. None of which seem all that violent towards others. Right. Well, I, I, now, Damien's not, you know, a uh, clean, you know... No, he's not no, a saint. He's, he's not yeah. an icon. He's a goth right. teenager. Of course yeah. he's a little troublemaker, but yeah. that's right. about all he is. So, um, Damien's immediate problem was listed as extreme physical aggression towards others, suicidal ideations and intent, 
depressed mood, and bizarre and unusual thinking. Where did they get this extreme violence towards others? Because he, he got into a fight with his stepfather one time and lashed out. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. So in July of 1992, Damien and his sister moved to Aloha, well, Oregon. people without stepdads do yeah. it with their real dads. Right. Uh, so it's, you know. Yeah, so they moved. Like, aren't you legally required to fight your dad at I, some point? I, I think you're at least legally required to have real big yelling matches and kind of push each other a little bit. That's right. like the bare minimum. It's If you've never bowed up with your dad, like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You did it wrong. Or so, maybe you did it right and we all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so in July of 1992, Damien and his sister moved to Aloha, Oregon, when their mother reunited with their biological father, Joe Hutchinson. Or Hutchison. They had barely settled in when Hutchison. driver... That's a Josh Hush Hutchinson? Yes. Yeah, H- Hutcherson. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Who is that? He's from Hunger Games. He played PETA. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Wow, nice... Yeah. Good Solid. Pull. Thank you. Yeah, I've been... That's the only movie I know him from. Uh, that's, that I feel like he was a Disney... I feel like he was a Disney Probably, kid. yeah. Before. Fucking Hunger Games slaps, though. I, the books are fine. Uh, the movies towards the later ones get kind of... Yeah, yeah, no, they're they're not great. Uh, Moist Critical was in Mockingjay Part 1, though. Was he really? Yeah, he was an extra. <laughs> He talks about it all the time. He's yes. like, everyone saw my acting prowess in Mockingjay Part 1. He's literally like Will's flip coin doppelganger. <laughs> like, this, I'm Sharknado 3's Will Wiley. And he's like, I was in The Hunger Games Part 1. <laughs> so, uh, Catching Fire is the best Hunger Games movie, but go on. So they had barely settled in when Driver contacted the juvenile authorities in Oregon requesting that they provide courtesy supervision of Damien while he remained on probation for the burglary charge. Now, an Oregon juvenile counselor noted that it's Driver... already trumped up. That Driver provided them with the following information about Damien. Damien and several others of his associates are involved in a satanic cult. D&D. Damien and his girlfriend were both placed in a psychiatric hospital. Because they were fucking. Mental health problems. Damien threatened to kill his girlfriend's parents. I don't think I believe that one. Damien claims he is a witch. He said Wiccan. Damien and his girlfriend were planning to have a child so they could offer it as a sacrifice to Satan. I feel like they they were just fucking. And the authorities in Arkansas suspect that Damien's parents are involved in the satanic belief system. Probably not. They're just bad parents. So Damien's name even seemed to be a point of contention. Maybe they're like just cool. (laughs) Maybe they're just bohemian. So Dohemian. Which is, I'll be honest, I don't necessarily think that that's a great style of parenting. (laughs) I don't think it is either. So Damien was originally born Michael... I'm not raising your kid, so... (laughs) Damien was originally born Michael Wayne Hutchison, but he changed it when Jack Eccles adopted him. Because Damien sounds way dope. Well, Damien stated that he changed his name because at the time he was involved in a conversion to Catholicism, and Damien was the name of a priest he admired who had achieved sainthood. Not, as many people would come to believe, because of the name of the Antichrist in the movie, The Omen. Oh, my God. Wow. But the problem was... I was literally thinking it was like a church name. Because I was like, that sounds vaguely religious. Or also like a metal kid, but they use the same... Yeah. Right, yeah. So uh, the problem was that in West Memphis, as well as most of the Mississippi Delta region of the United States, the prominent religious makeup of the area was predominantly fundamentalist Christian. What? As a result... 
a teen who dressed in all black, had long black hair, and confessed to being into witchcraft, certainly was bound to attract attention. I can't believe it. <laughs> so the fact that Driver had seen Damien's writings and read some of his psychiatrist's reports on Damien eventually brought what would have otherwise been confidential information to the attention of the West Memphis Police Department. <sighs> I want the end of the story. I know you said it doesn't have a conclusion that is satisfying yet, as of yet. I do hope that he did not let this change him, his belief system. Damien? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, yeah, I'll... Because, like, I I just... The very least, I can hope that this kid was strong enough not to let the world break him, you know? He didn't. Uh, he does his best to keep distance from it now, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I initially thought about reaching out to see if we could interview him, but no, yeah, he, he made a comment like a about that it's, it's constantly... Yeah, there's no need for ...bringing that. it back up. So now, even though Damien had complied with all of Driver's requests, including meeting with him once a week, obtaining his GED, and receiving mental health counseling, and despite the fact that Damien was now 18 years of age and no longer a juvenile, Driver continued to keep tabs on Damien. And in fact, his interest intensified in the early part of 1993 when Driver continued to find what he considered to be signs of satanic rituals around the town. Wow. After the bodies were found, Driver immediately zeroed in on Damien and his circle of friends. He viewed Damien as... What I want to know is, how old is this Driver person? It doesn't say. He's an adult, though. He's an adult, He has a job? Yeah. Fuck him. (laughs) I swear to anybody, I... Ooh. As an adult, stop picking on a kid. A literal child. Yeah. They're not your kid. Fuck off about it. So he viewed Damien as a prime suspect, and he shared his opinion with his assistant, Steve Jones. This this kid has done nothing. A kid. He's older than me, obviously. But he's done nothing but comply. And you said earlier that there was a report that he was nothing but cordial and polite. Right. Like... He may have been suffering from some mental health issues and a bad decision on girlfriend based on her parents. That has nothing to do with Satanism. Like, even the D&D books at the time were steady taking all that shit out. Right. Like, what are you doing? So, um, so yeah, he shared his opinion with assistant, his assistant, Steve Jones, and with Detective Donald Bray of the Marion Police Department. Now, Driver later noted that Detective Bray was the first person who really listened to what was going on. He was in- Meanwhile, the murderer of three fucking kids, three actual children, is just gone. Right. Scott fucking free. Uh, because this self-proclaimed armchair expert decided to pick on a kid. Yeah. So, uh, so Driver later noted that Detective Bray was the first person who really listened to what was going on. He was interested in what we saw as the occult portion of the crime. I think the West Memphis police took a little longer to come around. Now, since Driver viewed Damien as the leader of occult activities in the region, he was also interested in Damien's friends. Besides Damien's new girlfriend, Domini, the suspected cult leader was known to have only one true close friend, 16-year-old Jason Baldwin. Now, unlike Damien, Jason still attended school and was a good, if unexceptional, student. His best classes were art and English, and with the encouragement of one of his teachers, he was beginning to think of studying to be a graphic artist after high school. 
Jason also considered himself a Christian. Jason. And had a solid foundation Stop. of right and wrong. <laughs> but by high school, he had come to think of religion as Jason. a comfort. Jason. 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 I don't know what that is. Heavy Jason. rain. Jason. Heavy what? Heavy, Heavy rain. rain. Oh. It's a video game. You press X to Jason. Oh. In 1990. <laughs> F to pay respect. In 1990, Jason had gotten into trouble when he and his younger brother, along with two other boys, smashed the windows of an abandoned tin building next to the trailer park, along with the windows of the abandoned cars in the yard. Police reported that the boys had broken the glass on a front-end loader, a 1969 Cadillac, and a 1959 Ford, all of which were described as vintage cars and equipment. That were abandoned. Yes. Yes. Baldwin was charged with breaking and entering and with criminal mischief and was ordered to pay nearly $450 in restitution. A huge sum of money for him and his mother. To who? To the people. I don't know. It doesn't say. So Steve Jones, the probation officer, uh, became Jason's nemesis. Jason said, quote, he told me, I know you're trying to get a cult started. After that, other kids would say, we hear you and Damien have got a cult. We'd say, no, we haven't. Who told you that? They'd say the police. So the rumors of Satan worship in Robin Hood Hills, the concerns of local pastors in the area, drivers' interest in Damien and Jason were enough to prompt Lieutenant Sudbury and Steve Jones to visit Damien for an interview. Now, Jones was not just a, was not a police officer, and Sudbury's work mostly focused on the drug side of, the, of crime. But while Gitchell and other detectives employed more standard investigative techniques, Sudbury and Jones reviewed drivers' literature on crimes related to the occult. Sudbury and Jones interviewed Damien on the steps of his trailer, but made no notes as to the content of the interview. Then on May 8th, detectives Griffin and Durham arrived at Jason's trailer and asked to speak with him. As Jason exited the house, Damien and Domini followed out. The detectives asked the kids where they had been the night of the murders. They said that on Wednesday, May 5th, 1993, they had gone to Jason's uncle's house and Jason had cut the lawn. The entire interview took place in Jason's yard, the kids were not told they were suspects, they were not read the Miranda rights, they did not have lawyers present, and none of their parents were around. We, but- we got it. We finish this, and then we have to take a break, because I need a cigarette. <laughs> but the detectives continued their interview anyways. That is every kind of unconstitutional. Oh, yeah. Because I... he was how old? Uh, Jason was 16. I am fucking furious. Like, th- this is orders of magnitude worse than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. And it still only really gets worse. Oh, yeah. We haven't even gotten to Jesse yet. Did you really need a cigarette? Or Yeah, no, oh, that's wow. real. Okay. <laughs> how how deep into... Uh, we are 10 pages in. So when, they, when asked if he knew the boys, Damien said he'd never heard of them. He said anyone who would commit such a crime was sick. And when Griffin asked how Damien thought the boys had died, the detective wrote that Damien said mutilation, cut up all three. Heard they were in the water, drowning, cut up one more than the others. Then Griffin asked the question that had led police to Damien in the first place. Do you believe in God or the devil? Damien answered, according to Griffin's notes, I believe in a God, but a female God, and an evil force, not the devil. Uh, Griffin asked, how does being questioned make you feel? Damien answered, scared. Uh, when Griffin asked, would you take a polygraph? Damien answered, no reason I would fail. When asked why uh, were, why would your prints be in the area of or at the crime scene, Damien said they won't be. 
Then Griffin then ran down the same list with Jason. Light day. So it's I want to point out too. I've been watching um, one of my favorite like genres that has cropped up on YouTube recently is uh, police interrogation footage. Right, mm-hmm. and it typically will have a narrator who is talking about what the police are doing wrong in the interrogation, as opposed to what the person being interrogated is doing wrong, which is answering questions at all and not just asking for a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I've learned. But by no means am I an expert from watching a few dozen hours of YouTube videos of interrogations. But in an interrogation like that, even though it took place in the fucking yard right. and probably had no idea that it was really an interrogation. Right. Um, those short, concise, very sure answers. Uh, is there any re- would you refuse to take a polygraph test? No reason I'd fail. Um, why would your fingerprints be there? That that's a trick question that is meant to make you think that your fingerprints have already been found there. That right. is an old, 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 old police trick mm-hmm. where they'll say, uh, why would we have found your fingerprints there? Even though they haven't, mm-hmm. because it's just uncertain enough phrasing to make you think, oh fuck, did they find my fingerprints there? Because mm-hmm. they already think you're the murderer. Right. And they want you to think that they already have you pinned. But he goes, they won't be. That is so short. Like, <laughs> that's... It's just so all over every part of this that he had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right from the start. It's just, I'm only going to get more upset. So like yeah. Damien, Jason insisted that he did not know the victims and stated that though he did not know why someone would commit such a heinous act... Whoever did it deserved the death penalty. When he was asked how he thought the children died and how the killer must have felt, Jason became irritated, answering with a simple, I don't know. He stated that watching someone be beaten and killed would be disgusting, and he stated that he did believe in God and that being questioned made him feel like a suspect. On May 10th, Detective Sudbury asked Damien to come down to the police station for more questioning. Damien agreed and naively went to the station without his parents... Or an attorney accompanying him. You never. You never. Let me. <laughs> let me just real quick. I'm not going to make this take forever. If you are ever being asked to answer questions at the police station in relation to a murder or really any crime, but especially a murder. Don't fucking do it. Have a lawyer. Right. Ask for a lawyer. If you get read your rights, ask for a fucking lawyer every single time. Well, they didn't. have to yeah, provide. Yeah, he didn't it. get read his rights. Oh, well, I know, I know, but I'm just for right. viewers' sake, like, because it's not. It's a non-zero chance. Right. It's a non-zero chance, and their interrogation tactics are good. They're well. They're good at getting you to say what they want you to say. Exactly. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, their interrogation tactics are awful, but they're good at doing, they're good at serving the purpose that the police want them to serve. And that is bad for you. Ask for a fucking lawyer. Right. So during the questioning, Damien appeared cold and unemotional, answering questions in a flat, monotonous voice. He told the detectives that he believed that the murders were probably a thrill kill and that the killer probably found it funny that he hadn't been discovered yet. 
He stated that the penis is a symbol of power and that there would probably be stones, candles, a knife, and or crystals in the area where the bodies were found. He admitted to reading books by Anton LaVey and Stephen King, and he also said that he wanted to grow up and write horror novels and poetry. When asked about his whereabouts that night, Damien stated that he went to Lakeshore Trailer Park, where Jason and Domini lived, to spend the night with Domini. He stated first that he heard about the missing boys from Jason, but then changed it and stated that he'd heard about it from Jason's mother. Damien is also 16? No, Damien, Damien was 17, 17 at this time. Okay. He stated that Steve Jones questioned him and told him about one of the boys' missing genitalia and that someone had urinated in the children's mouths and had placed them in the water to wash the urine away. This last statement was important because Damien was telling the West Memphis detectives that Jones, who is neither a police officer nor part of their department, had already revealed to Damien some highly unusual and extremely specific information pertaining to the case. Specifically, that... Someone had urinated in their mouths. It was one of the few details that supposedly was known only to investigators. Yet here, just three days after the autopsies, a teenager who might also be a suspect was telling West Memphis detectives that when Jones questioned him two days earlier, Jones had divulged this particular information to him. At the same time, Damien was asked if he would submit to having hair and blood samples taken. He stated that he did not. Uh, it was further asked if he would be willing to take a polygraph examination if one could be scheduled, and again, he agreed. He agreed. Lieutenant Sudbury then left the room and attempted to set up a polygraph examination to determine if he was being truthful in his statements. At this time, Damien was turned over to Detective Durham for a polygraph examination. Side note, don't ever take the polygraph either. They do not work. They are not admissible in court. And the guy who invented them almost immediately was like, hey, actually, don't fucking use these. They're bad. Yep. They're they're awful. Uh, there is an example. Uh, it, it's an incredible example of how you can see a polygraph used not to discern whether or not somebody is telling the truth, but as an interrogation tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, I want to say that uh, JCS Criminal Psychology did a video covering um, the uh, Chris Watts interrogation. Chris right. and Shanann Watts. Mm-hmm. Um, the one who put his wife in like the oil. He put his wife and his two daughters, yeah. his pregnant wife and his two daughters inside of an oil drum after he stabbed them to death. Yeah. Right. And when they were interrogating him for that case... Um, they brought out a polygraph machine and when you watch it, it's, they knew that he had done it at this point. I still feel weird about the interrogation process as a whole, Mm -hmm. but they already pretty much had enough evidence to take it to trial and convict him. What they needed was a confession to just really solidify the whole thing. So they used the polygraph. They talk it up. It's They say that it's infallible. If you're lying to me, this is going to tell me. And that's how they ended up getting the confession out of him. Right. Was with the polygraph. And it's very, very interesting to see the psychology at play behind them using the polygraph as a tool for interrogation, but not actually as what the polygraph says it does on the tin. You know, right. it's it's really interesting. So Durham, the, the per, Detective Durham, who was initiating the polygraph or whatever you want to call it, who was 
doing the polygraphic tests, uh-huh. uh, did not record the polygraph interview, nor did he leave any notations as to what the polygraph machine showed in any police records. All that remains of that episode is a one-page investigative report written by Durham that, that day. The full text of the report reads, On May 10th, 1993, I interviewed Damian Wayne Eccles. He denied any involvement in the crime. After approximately 45 minutes, I asked the subject what he was afraid of. He replied, the electric chair. He then said that he liked the hospital in Little Rock. He said that he had been treated there for manic depression. After a short period of time, he ceased to deny his involvement. Admission through absence of denial. Which means he just stopped saying, I didn't do it. Yeah. Not that he said, okay, I did it. He just quit answering the question. Yep. Wow. And by doing that, according to this, that was admission. He then said, I will tell you all about it if you will let me talk to your mother. Detective Ridge brought his mother into my office to talk to him. After talking to his mother, he again denied being involved in the murders. So literally, Damien was like, okay, I'll tell you everything I know. Just let me talk to my mom. Uh-huh. They let him talk to his mom. She leaves. He goes, I don't know anything about the crime. Yep. That's a, that's a great way to yeah, fuck with the cops. That's a baller move. I've got it. That's but... fucking phenomenal. It's like, all everything right. Everything he's right. doing is what they tell you to do. Listen, as a black person, the only thing that he has done wrong is not ask for a lawyer. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No, 100%. And like, it's so fucking frustrating to see this happen. And still people today are like, but it's the justice system. It's justice. It's in the name. And you're like, yeah, but look at this. When the cops do everything wrong, illegal, illegal, like federally fucking illegal, Things that people should have been fucking, whatever the equivalent of a court martial is for a cop. Right. Like, and this kid is doing everything correct, and yet they still, like, yeah. It's so frustrating that people still today are like, no, it's, don't, it's, the, you know, trust the cops. No, fuck the cops. Mm-hmm. So, uh, after I, talking. I don't trust not one of them. So Durham continued, after approximately 20 minutes, I asked, you're never going to tell anyone about this, but your doctor, are you? He replied, no. According to Detective Ridge's notes, Durham came out of the room and told Ridge and other officers that Damien had been untruthful and, according to the test, was involved in the murders. And that's where we're going to stop. Fuck a polygraph test. Fuck that guy who administered the polygraph test. Fuck those cops. Fuck that first cop the most. Fuck... The justice system, fuck, fuck fucking. Fuck the world. Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. But before we do that, <laughs> uh, is there anything we need to fill them in on? Uh, I don't know if this one's going to take a minute. We're going to get way more mad about it as time goes on. Yeah. The, well, we're going to be here for a minute before we, yeah, uh, before we move we... back to some other satanic panic stuff. Yeah. And we'll need to like wait for McMartin. Yeah, we'll we'll need to break that up. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably do neat. another couple of little ones, yeah. and then we'll go to McMartin. Yeah, we still got Rubens, uh, the regressive hip- regressive hypnosis, hypnosis, mm-hmm. and uh, Michelle remembers. Yeah, and we still got uh, Pazuzu, Pazuzu and uh, Ricky Casso. Oh. Yep. Yeah, that was the really the only three left besides McMartin. So, well, and then and then the big closer. Oh yeah, QAnon. Forgot about that fucking shit. Oh, my God. So, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us again. You know who ended up being a big QAnon guy? Who? Notch. No way. The Minecraft guy. He developed Minecraft. Really? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. No fucking way. Yeah, dude. 
Yeah. What? Well, it's amazing what $1.2 billion will do to somebody's brain, actually. Yeah. there's Do you know the right opinion on YouTube? I've heard of them. It's an English commentator, mostly comments uh, commentates on, like, in- internet drama. Sure. And stuff, like, you know, talk the rise and fall of, like... Leafy is here, or whatever other commentator channels, stuff like that. Man, that's Onision. a deep pull. Yeah, that's he, a deeper pull. He did a whole Onision <laughs> series. Damn. Um, he also talked about like Doctor Phil. It, these are like sometimes three hour long videos. I feel like I've probably seen at least. He's one great. Or two. He has a he has a video that I want to say is like uh, an hour, maybe a little bit more about um, Notch specifically and it's just it's really interesting because all of the beliefs that he espoused before getting that money were very pro consumer he was like piracy's not a crime pirate minecraft i don't care mm-hmm. uh he was like very pro women uh and then he got 1.2 billion dollars and uh one wrong friend he no, well, it's not even that. It's the fact that he was always a terminally online person, oh, no. and he had nothing to fight against anymore. Mm-hmm. So when someone else tells you, well, there's this thing that we can fight against, and it makes sense to you even the slightest bit, you cling to it. Seriously, nothing guys. To fight against. We, we got to start our own cult. I know. Give us all your. I want one point two billion dollars. Fucking a man. Well, you gotta you gotta invent something on the level of Minecraft and then sell it to Microsoft if you want that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I'll, I'll just stick with this podcast. <laughs> I call it Dorgens and Dergens. Dorgens and Herg Dergen Dergens. What was it? Don Johns and Dragons. Don Johns and Dragoons. Dragoons. That was the French version. Nice. Yeah. And it was Verlisto Drachen. That was yeah. the German. <laughs> nice. So, all right, guys. So we are going to wrap it up. Uh, I think I've pissed Ruben and Josh off enough today. Uh, we don't want to break them entirely or there won't be a podcast. So as always, fuck cancer. Fuck uh, cancer. Fuck cancer. Be good to yourselves. You're more resilient than you think you are. No, no. Or not. We're past that. Now. We're past that. We're past that. Now we're you're just a bunch o- of octagonal, octagonal yeah. meat raccoons. Yes, yeah, you're it's... a bunch of squishy... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> it's not the right order, or does it have to be in the? It right doesn't order? have to be in the right. Oh, order. Okay, yeah, octagonal yeah. meat raccoons. You're all octagonal meat raccoons. <laughs> Look for that shirt coming soon. This um, has been two towns over. We hope you've enjoyed your visit. Yes, a podcast for stoners by stoners, according to our listeners. According to our listeners. Part. Bye, guys. Bye.